0: If you'd stand for our passage today in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Jeremiah 9, where we read of the prophet, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, For in these things I delight, says the Lord, the Word of God. Please be seated. (coughs) Church, we completed Luke last week. We've got a couple of passages on the resurrection that I'm saving to Easter. We'll be in Exodus in the spring and various uh, miscellaneous things between now and then. When I was a freshman in college, I was a new Christian, and I was excited about my new faith. I was uh, growing in it. And... Between semesters, right after Christmas time, I went with a with a group of college students from Rice University to a large gathering of students in Dallas for this conference. The speaker was Howard Hendricks, a very powerful speaker. Later he would become a professor of mine in graduate school. About two or three days into the conference, he said something that just kind of stopped me in my tracks. He said this to us. He said, if you are serious about knowing God, if you are serious about walking with God, loving God, then this is what you'll do. You'll decide that every day you're going to meet with God in prayer and the Bible in order to get to know God better. When he said that, I just, it's like uh, those words were emblazoned on my heart. My, my heart leapt within me. I, I, I immediately was thinking inside, yes, that's what I want. I want to know God and love God. I'm serious about my relationship with God. And uh, so I responded positively. A couple of days later, we drove back to college to begin our spring semester. And the first day of school, after my run, after, a, after a breakfast, I went down into the basement of our dormitory there, Lovett College. It was a, a huge storage room about the size of this room. There were old carpets rolled up and dusty desks and things like that. But I was alone down there. I found a little folding chair, pulled it up, and sat down with my Bible and a blue spiral notebook and spent a half hour reading the Bible and praying to God. It was a new experience for me, just, you know, didn't know exactly what I was doing. But I began doing that every day, and I have essentially for the next last 43 years. And I began uh, learning how to pray by praying. And I began learning my way around the Bible and, and getting to know God person to person rather than by proxy through other people. And that time became so very important to me. And it has shaped my life in more ways than I could tell. Over 40 40 years later, this is still a huge part of my life, bigger than ever. Uh, The the time has morphed. In in fact, it is always morphing a little bit. But after some years, I learned that I didn't have to sit in a chair because I don't like sitting in chairs. I like to walk around. And so what I do now is I, I get up, get showered, a drive here, and I'm usually the first one on campus, and, and I go to a couple of the portables out there with decking, and I'm in and out of those portables and those decks, just kind of walking around, uh, ambling around, um, slowly walking, reading my Bible, drinking Starbucks coffee and praying, and I'm meeting with God. And I do that for a couple of hours, and it's not enough time for me. And this time has become such a valued and valuable part of my time, uh, of my life each day. And I want to urge you to make a decision to decide that, yes, you too, every day, maybe not for two hours, but for at least a half hour, maybe an hour, maybe at least 15 minutes, that every day you will get alone with God with an open Bible and pray with Him and and pray to Him and draw close to Him. My time is always adjusting. For example, Sometimes I read through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation in a year. Sometimes I use a one-year Bible, which takes you through a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, a little bit of the Psalms and Proverbs, and through the whole Bible in a a year. My favorite way to go through the Bible is simply to slowly meditate, pray my way through a book of the Bible, however long it takes. Um, Other parts of this time with God, the, the prayer part, the worship part, the thanksgiving part, the petition part, it's always changing a bit. At the end, I want to give you kind of a a sample of what you might do. But my goal is that you would decide by the end of this time that I'm going to do this. Every day I'm going to meet with God to draw close to Him. Now let me tell you why I do it. I, I don't have time to give you all the reasons, but I want to give you three of the reasons why I do this and why it is so important to me. But first of all, I want to tell you why I do not do it. I do not do this because I'm a pastor. Some pastors do this and some pastors don't do this. Uh, Some of you do this, some of you don't do this. I did this before I was a pastor. One day I'm going to retire from pastoring this church, and the very next morning I'm going to do the same thing. I'm doing this because of God and not because I'm a pastor. Let me tell you the three reasons why I do it. First of all, I do this because I responded to what Dr. Hendricks said, I want to know God personally and intimately. I want to be close to Him. I want to be an intimate I have not uncommonly quoted A.W. Tozer, who said, God doesn't have favorites, but He does have intimates. God wants to be an intimate of you, with you. He wants to be close to you. His primary image, metaphor, for His relationship with you is marriage. He takes the closest, most intimate love relationship, and He says, that's a picture of my relationship with you. That's what I want. Can you imagine? that the God of the universe, the God of the galaxies, the God of the cross wants to be that kind of closeness with you. He does. And I want to know Him. I want to walk with Him. That passage that I quoted earlier from Jeremiah 9 has in some ways become a life verse for me. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts or glories... Let him who glories glory in this, that he knows and understands me. And he goes on with that, that he knows me, not knows about me, not intellectual knowledge of me, but heart knowledge. He knows me personally, like a husband and a wife know each other intimately. That's what God wants for you and me, that you know him intimately. Does your heart respond to that? Is your heart saying, yes, I want to know the God of the universe who is like that? When I was a freshman, later on that year, John Powell was an upperclassman on our track team, and he gave me a, a book called Knowing God, written by an Oxford scholar, J.I. Packer. He and I did not know that that book was destined. It was a new book at the time. It was destined to become a modern Christian classic. It's in our bookstore. It is worth multiple readings in your lifetime. Well, at one point, he asked these series of questions. What were we made for to know God? God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowing God. What is the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else. Knowledge of God. And he is talking about personally knowing the Lord. Church, I I sometimes think about our society, and I'm sure you do too, how we are so enamored with celebrities We're so enamored with the great singers, with Adele, with uh, the great athletes and the wealthy CEOs. And if you had opportunity to get with some of these that you like, I mean, oh, we would just kind of gush over that. And I just, you know, sometimes we need to remind ourselves that they are simply grasshoppers. They are gone here today, gone tomorrow. They've got, as the Bible says, they've got their breath in their nostrils Everything good about them is a gift from God. They they created nothing in themselves. And we are enamored over fellow human beings like this. When we could have God, when you could get time alone and heart connection with God, we aim way too low, way too low. God says, here is the glory of human life. Here is the reason you're on the planet. Here is the passion and the privilege of human life, to know me, to be close to me, to love me, to become an intimate of me. When I say to to know God, it's the same thing as to love God. They go together. If you love God, you know God. If you know God, you love God. Both involve with being intimates of the Lord. And you know if you're at Wood's Edge that our main priority here is to love the Lord back to love Jesus. That's what life is all about. We want to do that. Mother Teresa, those of you who are from a Catholic background, I got several great quotes from folks with Catholic backgrounds today. Uh, Mother Teresa, in a dry period of her life, when she felt like she couldn't hear from God, she made this prayer. She, she, she prayed this. She says, Jesus, I want to love you like you have never been loved before. Now, what kind of a woman or what kind of a human being makes a prayer like that? I want to love you, Jesus, like you have never been loved before. And when I saw that, when I heard that, I thought, yes, that's what I want too. And church, to be honest with you, that's what I want more than anything for us as a church. May we as a church love Jesus more than any church ever has. For Jesus, may we love him back. May we love him more than he's ever been loved before. Church, The first reason that I do it, and I would urge you to do it, to to meet with God every day in a Bible and prayer, is because you want to know God and love God and become an intimate of God's. Decide that you're going to do that. The second reason that I do this is because I need this time along with God for my survival. I need it for my mental health, for my spiritual health, for my soul restoration. I feel like I need it, and I do not understand how other people can survive without it. Um, the psalmist says in that great Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd." psalm, and about the third or fourth line, he says that God restores my soul. He restores my soul. What's he saying? He's saying that God Uh, restores my life, He rejuvenates me, He refreshes me, He he brings life to my weary soul. And only God can do that. We think at times that, you know, it's Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday at work, if I can just make it till Friday afternoon, you know, the weekend will restore my soul. By Sunday night, uh, our soul is just as weary, isn't it? When you drive to work Monday morning, is your soul restored and refreshed? No, it is not. Or sometimes we think, well, you know, if I just have the night vegetating in front of the TV, or I could just go out to this party or, or, or have this amusement or entertainment, or at least if I could watch the Texans game, may they win tonight, uh, that that would restore my soul. But it doesn't work. The thing that we put most hope in is that vacation, you know, but we come back from our vacation and we're more fatigued than ever. Friends, God did not wire you. I mean, those are good things. I, I, I like them all. But, but God did not wire you to have your soul restored by anything except God himself. Because you were made. You are made for God. You, have the, you bear the imprint of God, the image of God in your soul. But when you connect with God, he restores your soul. Every single morning, church, I get my soul restored. That's, uh, that is the antidote from burnout and so many other things. Every day. Not if you just show up and your, your mind is a million miles away and you're just checking a box. That won't touch your soul. But if you show up with God and you let Him love you and you pour your heart back to Him and you ask Him to speak to you through the Bible and you draw close to Him, do you know what's going to happen? He will restore your soul at the deepest level. I need that. I don't know about you, but I need that. Because I wrestled with fear and anger and uh, guilt, and um, I, I've got these burdens that are overwhelming for me, and I, I've got decisions that I, I'm not smart enough to make them, and, and I've got all these things in my life, and I need my soul restored every day. I do. Jesus said in, in Matthew 11:28, one of the most striking things He ever said. He said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, who else would say that except Jesus? Can you imagine Plato ever saying something like that? Or Aristotle? I mean, those folks who think Jesus is just a great teacher have no idea. He says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, that applies to the crises of life. That applies to non-Christians needing to come to Jesus for rest but it applies to me every day of my life because I am weary and heavy laden every day. And I come to Jesus and he meets me there and he restores my soul. Now church, this second reason, you might think that this is exaggeration, kind of a little bit of a preacher talk, preacher exaggeration. It is not. Uh, Maybe I am unique because I have struggled with a mental disease just about all of my adult life, obsessive compulsive disorder. And it has been at times more painful than I could express uh, at times, where every waking moment was mentally painful, where I did not know if I was going to survive, if they're going to, you know, put me in this insane, insane asylum at some point, and uh, is it is the, the hardest thing by far that I've ever experienced, and so maybe I'm atypical, but I don't exaggerate. I need this time for my mental health and for my sanity and for my soul restoration. Now. Um, This has been extremely painful. Only those of you who have suffered with mental disease could have an idea of what I'm talking about. But if that is what God used to drive me to my knees and show me how desperate I am for Him, then I say, God, I bless you for mental disease because it would be worth it to know how desperate I am for God and to be able to meet with God and to draw close to Him. Church, I say, the second reason that I Do this daily. is because I need it. I need it. I need it like a thirsty traveler in the desert needs water. I need it that way. In fact, to to again think about Mother Teresa, David Bryant was a speaker at our church sometime back, and he told the story of being in Calcutta when she was alive and talking with her. And uh, he said Calcutta, the area of the city where they were at, that, you know, they'd do things like this. A baby, uh, they would abandon a baby in a gutter, left to die. You know, things like that. It said, just overwhelming. And, And he said, Mother Teresa, how do you cope? And she said these unforgettable lines. She said, because Jesus is the deep well, and every day I drop my bucket into the well. Jesus is the deep well, and every day I drop my bucket into the well. Church, that's exactly how I feel. Jesus is the deep well. And every day I drop my bucket down to that well and I get my soul restored. And I need that. And I suspect you do too. And if you're not having that sort of time and your life isn't working, that's why. Don't look any further. You need this time with God. Just like a thirsty traveler in the desert needs water, you need the water of life, Jesus, every day. A third reason. First of all, I've said, because I want to know God, I want to love Him, I want to be close to Him. Secondly, I need that time for my soul restoration. Thirdly, and the last reason I'm going to give you is because I long for this time. That is, I desire it. I want it. It didn't start that way. It started out of discipline. God made me just a a disciplined person, so I just did it that way. But over time, something changed and happened to my soul so that I desperately crave and desire this time. I love it. If I was told tomorrow that I couldn't meet with long with the Lord, I would uh, sulk and pout and uh, uh, stomp around, and, and I would grieve about it because this is the richest part of my day, and two hours is, is hardly enough time. Think about what the psalmist said in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Think about a deer in the Judean desert. Some of you have been to Judea, deserty, arid needing some water. And the deer says, I'm panning for that water. And the psalmist says, God, that's the way I need you. That's the way I feel about you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come up here before God? Church, this is emotional, intense, personal language. God, I thirst for you. I long for you. I want you. But I want to be close to you. Does that stir anything in your hearts? Do you know anything about what the psalmist is talking about? Augustine, great theologian from the 4th century. And, and do you know Augustine's background? Devout Christian mother, Monica. And uh, he was a philosopher. He was brilliant. And he you know, lived a, a life of you know, sexual sin and debauchery and, and completely rejected his mother's faith until God swoops him off of his feet and spiritually almost speaks to him in a supernatural way. And later, Augustine, who grew so close to God, said this. He says, give me a man in love. He knows what I mean. Give me one who yearns. Give me one who is hungry. Give me one far away in the desert who is thirsty and sighs for the spring of the eternal country. Give me that sort of man. He knows what I mean. But if I speak to a cold man, he just doesn't know what I'm talking about. Church, is that Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? Does that register? Does it touch your soul at all? If not, beg God to show you His glory and the beauty of His love. Church, I meet with God because I so want to meet with Him and love meeting with Him. I do not offer you today the duty of time with God. I offer you the incredible privilege of time with God to draw close, to meet with Him. There is nothing like it for a human being. Okay, those are three of the reasons. I want to know God. I need that time with God, and I long for it. I want it. Now, let me talk a little bit about what do you do during that time. Well, I'm going to tell you what I do, basically. But as I said before, my time with the Lord, I'm always tweaking it, always just changing a little bit there. There are no rules um, you need to find your own thumbprint. You've got a physical thumbprint, and you've got a spiritual thumbprint of the way you connect with God. You need to find that way, that way, and the only way you do it is by getting with Him and meeting with Him. But let me give you an example of the sort of thing I do. I wake up, I get showered, I come here. I'm usually the first one on campus. It's dark. I go out to my office, Portable 5, Portable 8, the decking. I get some coffee, and I begin meeting with the Lord. And I love that time, and I love that I'm basically along with the Lord. Uh, My first half hour, I do what I call, I love and be loved. I just love on the Lord, and I let Him love me. I just sort of draw close to Him. I'll pray something like this, Papa, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Spirit, I love you. And we'll just go on and on like that for a while. And I may uh, remind myself of His love for me in some of the Bible passages, like uh, 1 John 4, 9, and this is, First John 4:10. and this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. And I will let God love me, and I'll feel His love, and I'll begin to sing to Him at some point. Every day I'll sing the Rich Mullins song, Oh God, You Are My God. Uh, often I'll pull up my iPad, YouTube, 10,000 uh, Reasons by Matt Redmond, or Glorious by Katie Torwald, or something else, and I'll sing to him, because uh, God has made us to respond at the heart level to music. That is why that the psalms, uh, that word psalm means song. It's like saying the songs, that a hundred times in the psalms alone, we are commanded by God to sing to the Lord, because it touches your soul in ways that nothing else does, and that is true of the person in this church with the least musical ability right here. It touches my soul deeply to be able to worship the Lord, and express my heart to Him in song. And I'll take a half hour. And uh, part of that time I will be quiet before the Lord. That would be one of the the changes in my life from where I started. Uh, Be still and know that I am (coughs) God. I think of the little passage in, 1 Samuel, where the young Samuel finally realized it was God wanting to speak to him. And and Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's not the way we think. We think, listen, Lord, for your servant is speaking. (laughs) And we're a lot more interested in what we got to say than what God's got to say. But there's a time to quiet our heart. Blaise Pascal, the great French philosopher and mathematician, brilliant man. He said all of man's misery could be traced to not being able to sit alone quiet in a room for a half hour, you know, just to be quiet. I'm not quiet that long, but, but there's part of my time with the Lord that I'm, Lord God, what do you have to say to me this morning? And if, if I feel any impression upon me, anything I think he's put in my heart, I've got an iPad journal in which I'll jot it down. Um, or I'll have a specific question to ask Him, Lord. I've got a big decision or something, Lord. what do You think about? Or what, what should I think about this? And you know, the Bible says that David, several times, David inquired of the Lord. Well, if we're Bible followers and not just Bible readers, then we'll do that too. Lord, guide me about this thing. Lord, what do You think? What do you? How should I think about this? So, for me, that first half hour is the time of loving the Lord and let him love me. I I get this phrase from Mother Teresa. She said, I immerse myself in love and worship. And that's what I do, thanksgiving and praise. For the next period of time, I read the Bible, or should I say, I pray through the Bible. Uh, My preferred way is to slowly meditate, prayerfully meditate through the Bible, through a book or so. Right now, this morning, I was meditating in Psalm 19, got the first six verses. That was about a half hour, and then another half hour, I was meditating in Romans 5. I only got one verse. It was just too much in that one verse, Romans 5.1. And I don't just read it, I pray it. I, uh, I interact with the Lord about it. Lord God, please make that true in my life. Lord, forgive me for that. Lord, thank you for this. You know, I'm kind of talking with the Lord. I'm dialoguing with the Lord. I'm active. If you're sitting there like a bump on the log, you're going to go to sleep. It's going to be boring to you. But interact with the Lord. This is not a book of theology. This is the living Word of God. And God takes His Word, and by His Spirit, He speaks to you each day if you come with an open heart. And so the Bible and prayer go together. You don't separate them. Uh, The Bible gives clarity and focus to your prayers. Prayer gives life to your Bible reading. Don't, Don't separate the two. Tim Keller the pastor in New York, put it this way. He said, our prayers should arise out of our immersion in the Scriptures. We speak only to the degree that we are spoken to. The wedding of the Bible and prayer anchors your life down in the real God. Now, church, this is what I have found and countless others have. (coughs) When you read the Bible, some days it's going to be more or less meaningful. You're not going to get a jolt of electricity every day, but over time, it is going to become clear to you that you are drinking drafts of living water that come from another world. And they're unlike any other words that you can read. There is a diarrhea of words out there, mostly online and on the net. But these words are words of life and truth. And they're from God. They are God-breathed. The French monk Thomas Merton put it this way. He said, by the reading of Scripture, I am so renewed that all nature seems renewed. The whole world is charged with the glory of God, and I feel fire and music under my feet. I exactly know what he's talking about. you feel fire and music? The whole world comes alive because there is the power of God pulsating in those words. Pray through Scripture. I do that about an hour, 45 minutes or an hour or so. And then for the last half hour, I focus on intercession. I focus on petition. I pray for the 12 members of our family, including our pre-born little girl, Wren, who's due in February. And I pray for extended family, and I pray for close friends by name, and I pray for a number of you guys by name, especially if you're going through cancer or uh, some special crisis in your life. And I'll pray for us as a church. I'll pray that we would all love Jesus and, and, and journey together and bring hope to the world. I'll pray for our... Our, our, our vision statement, and, and I'll pray for the other, other people that God puts my, on my heart, and I'll pray for missionaries, and uh, that, that our church would be what God wants to be, and I'll take about a half hour of intercession and prayer, and let me encourage you that the most loving thing that you can do for any other human being is intercession, because it is one thing for you to do an act of kindness. That is a great thing and an important thing, but when you pray and ask God to uh, intervene in somebody's life, You're bringing omnipotence to bear on the situation. That's a whole different thing. It is the most loving thing you can do is to bring anybody before the throne of grace and and, and to call out to God for them. It's work. Somebody said that intercession is a sacrifice, a bleeding sacrifice. Be like Epaphras in Colossians 4.12, who Paul said he wrestled in prayer. He agonized in prayer for those people in Colossae. We've got the privilege the high privilege of interceding for other folks. So that's about what I do. It takes me a couple of hours. Don't really watch the clock. Uh, it's it's barely enough time. Uh, you 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 need to find your own thumbprint. You need to find you know when and where works for you. Maybe you like to sit in a a a, 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 a big padded chair, and uh, maybe for you it's going to be a half hour. I could you know hardly could be less than that. But uh, find what how you are wired and how God has made you and experience the thrill and the pleasure of connecting with God every single morning. There's nothing like it. I want to urge you church to predecide today that I'm going to do this. It won't happen if you wait until it's convenient. It's never convenient. It will only happen if you predecide this is going to be part of my life because this is important to me. This is the way I want to live my one lifetime. Now, you predecide about some other things. How many of you here this morning, before you came to church, show of hands, brushed your teeth? How many of you? Go ahead. I want to see it. How many of you? You did not get up and decide, am I going to brush my teeth today or am I not going to brush my teeth? Unless you are a child... You do that every day, no question. Church, I would sooner go without brushing my teeth than meeting with the Lord for a couple of hours. It's no question for me. I don't get up ever and decide, am I going to meet with the Lord or not? I've already decided that because I want to know Him. I would urge you, church, don't wait till this is uh, convenient for you because you'll be waiting for eternity. Decide, I want to know God, I want to meet with God. I want to get along with God. I need my soul restored. I want to draw close to Him. I want to hear from Him and meet with Him every day. Decide on a time and a place. You know, roughly, it can change some. Occasionally, I'll do this at home, but just about every day I'm here at, the, at, at work. Uh, decide on a basic approach, but find your thumbprint and go to it and let nothing hold you back. That means you're going to have to give up some things. There are going to be some things you cannot do. I love watching sports, but if it was a question between a meeting with God every day and watching the Texans, case already decided. And I love the Texans. Maybe you're not going to spend much time uh, doing online shopping. Maybe you're not going to spend much time uh, on the Internet or, or listening to TV or listening to the radio or TV or listening to Dale's latest album or something like that. But, but you're going to have the attitude that come hell or high water, I'm going to meet with God every day. And it is the greatest privilege of my life. Church, where are the Christians, the men and women who have that kind of fiber, who want to know their God? Where are they? There are people all over this church who are intimates of the Lord. There have been people down through history in every continent who are intimates of the Lord. Church, do not waste your one life with things that aren't really mattering that don't really matter, but become an intimate of the Lord. Those of you with a Methodist background, John Wesley was talking about this, this time with God, and he said, oh, begin. He says, fix some part of every day for private exercises. Whether you like it or not, read and pray daily. It is for your life. There is no other way else you will be a trifler all your days. A trifler, a lightweight. You're not dealing with substantive matters of God in eternity, but with the shallow, superficial things of life. Friends, I hate to say it, but some of you are lightweights. And it doesn't have to be. Don't be a trifler. Decide, I want to know God. God. I want to be close to God. It is the privilege of my life. And whatever else happens, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pursue Him. Decide to do it. Please stand with me. Lord, thank you for the inordinate privilege of loving you. And being loved by you like the most intimate marriage ever. Thank you. That we can have the incredible opportunity to get into your presence along with you in the secret place. Thank you. Lord, may you pour out a hunger for this. A hunger for you all over Woods Edge. That we would be people who love the Lord. Lord, this is my prayer, in Christ's name, amen.